I hope that you will join me in an open Bible as we look together at 2 Samuel chapter 14. And our focus today will be on verses 23 to 33. The other day, my wife Holly confronted me with a hard truth. She came up close to me and she said, you know, you're really starting to show a lot of gray hairs on the side of your head. So I went to a mirror and sure enough, she was right. And while I hadn't really been paying that much attention to those gray hairs, until that point, don't you know for the next few days, that's all I could focus on when I looked in the mirror. Wow, it's true. And it points out something that we all struggle with to varying degrees. And that is the idolatry of vanity. Anybody else out there? Yep. We are so prone to focus and to fixate on what people see when they look at us. And we know it goes even deeper than the cosmetic or the aesthetic. We also focus on how people perceive us, what they think. Do they respect us? Are we worthy in their eyes or not? And so often we can take that same pattern of thought and apply it to God. And we think that somehow we can make ourselves more worthy or more pleasing in God's eyes. Depending on what we do, what we say, what we fail to do. Vanity. It can so easily infect even our spirituality. Now what we see in 2 Samuel 14 are people who are not focused on what God thinks. But they are focused on what other people think. And when we read this, I want us to see the danger of thinking this way and acting this way when it comes to our relationship with God, our Creator, so that we can avoid this. And so that we won't sell God short. We sell God short. You and I sell God short. If you think that God needs anything from you, whether it's your religion, your spirituality, your good deeds, your looks, your status, your degree, your career, your title, whatever it is, you and I sell God short if we think that He needs any of that from us. Because what God really wants is you and me. 
He wants you. And He wants you so that He can save you by His grace and for His glory. God wants you so that He can save you by His grace, by His unmerited favor that is available to us through the Lord Jesus Christ because of His life, death, and resurrection. Not so that we can look good, not so that you can look good, but so that God looks good in you and through you for His glory, for His renown. That's what God wants. But oh, how we sell God short and think that God wants something that we can give to Him. Let's see how that plays out here in 2 Samuel 14. The context is that David is estranged from his son Absalom. His son Absalom has murdered his half-brother Amnon, and he's fled. And it seems like Absalom, who's the heir to the throne, is never going to reach the throne. And so David's advisor, Joab, who's also his general, comes to David and says, David, you need to be reconciled to your son. This isn't good. And David refuses to listen, and so he takes that good idea and applies it to a bad plan. He tries to manipulate David. He summons in this woman from Tekoa and has her pretend that she is a widow who has a conflict with her sons. One of her sons kills the other one. They're estranged. The family wants to take vengeance on the surviving son. She says, if they kill him, I won't have anyone left. And she uses that fictitious story to try to bend David into seeing how he is also estranged from his son and he needs to welcome him back. All the while missing the point that Absalom isn't estranged because of a crime of passion. He committed premeditated murder against his half-brother. But David is so spiritually weak at this point that he simply caves in. He's a total sucker for Joab's scheme. And so, he relents. He says, you're right, Joab. Bring Absalom back. So let's see how that works out, beginning at verse 23. Then Joab went to Geshur and brought Absalom back to Jerusalem. But the king said, He must go to his own house. He must not see my face. So Absalom went to his own house and did not see the face of the king. Pausing there. So after all that to do, after all that Joab has done to scheme, to plot, to get Absalom back, he thinks he's succeeded. He thinks he's manipulated David to this point. What happens? What changes? Not much. Yes, Absalom comes back to Jerusalem. Yes, he's not miles away. But is there any reconciliation? Nope. They're just as estranged as they have been. Absalom's down the street. David is in his palace. Oh, but David can say, well, I brought him back. 
Aren't you happy, Joab? I brought him back. I did what you said. And yet he has not really dealt with the situation. One of two things need to happen here. Either David needs to exact justice against his son for murder. Or he needs to show mercy. And it's within his power to do either one. But the status quo will not suffice. But oh, he just continues the silent treatment. Continues to stand at odds. It's merely half-heartedness. It's a halfway measure. And what you and I need to remember is that God wants more than your half-heartedness and my half-heartedness. But we think that'll suffice, don't we? God, I came to church. They can, you can check the attendance. I was there. Oh, God, I said a prayer. I had my Bible. I was, I was following along with the pastor. I was there. Aren't you happy, God? Well, maybe he is, maybe he isn't. But what God doesn't need is just your ritual. What he doesn't need is just for you to go through the motions. So you were in church. Great. That can't be said about a lot of other people. But was your heart in it? Yes, you were singing the words. Yes, you were praying along. Yes, you were reading the Bible. But was your heart in it? Did you mean the words? Were you addressing those words to God? Were you listening to hear what God might want to say to you through His Word and through the proclamation of His Word? Or are you critiquing? Finding fault? God wants more than your half-heartedness. Don't sell Him short. But oh, how we try. And this is especially true when it comes to the issue of reconciliation and living in peace with our brothers and sisters in Christ. Consider what the Lord Jesus says in Matthew chapter 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, verse 23. He says, Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Jesus says it's no good to be giving your offer of, of sacrifice to God when all along you are estranged from your brother or sister and there's hate in your heart, there's resentment in your heart, or they have something against you that you need to repent of. Jesus says, God doesn't want to hear from you. Leave your sacrifice. Leave your offering. Go be reconciled. And yet, for you and for me, so often we think, well, I'm tolerating them. I didn't say anything mean to them. Isn't that good enough? I can be in the same room. Oh no. 
God wants peace between His people. Between His sons and daughters saved by His grace. And this especially applies to how we interact with one another. It's not good enough to just tolerate one another. Do we love one another? Are we serving one another? Are we seeking as best we can to live at peace with one another? To be reconciled to one another? To be aware of when we may have wronged someone by what we've said or what we've done? And when we come to worship, whether online or in person, we are, we're going to try to be reconciled to other people. God wants more than our half-heartedness. No doubt, all along here, David is continuing to worship. I'm sure he's continuing to go to the temple. I'm sure he's continuing to pray. But all along, he's estranged from his son. You see the inconsistency. Don't sell God short. And things only get worse. Let's read verse 25 through 30. In all Israel, there was not a man so highly praised for his handsome appearance as Absalom. From the top of his head to the sole of his foot, there was no blemish in him. Whenever he cut the hair of his head, he used to cut his hair once a year because it became too heavy for him. He would weigh it, and its weight was 200 shekels by the royal standard. Three sons and a daughter were born to Absalom. His daughter's name was Tamar, and she became a beautiful woman. Absalom lived two years in Jerusalem without seeing the king's face. Then Absalom sent for Joab in order to send him to the king. But Joab refused to come to him. So he sent a second time, but he refused to come. Then he said to his servants, Look, Joab's field is next to mine, and he has barley there. Go and set it on fire. So Absalom's servants set the field on fire. Absalom was a celebrity in Israel. The narrator says, take, take a look at him. And maybe he's saying this somewhat tongue-in-cheek. There's no blemish in him. Look at him, head to toe, no blemish. There's nothing wrong with him. <laughs> Leaving unsaid what's going on in Absalom's heart and what's most important. But look at him. Oh, he's a looker. Easy on the eyes. And as evidence of that, we've got his hair that he would only cut once a year. We don't know exactly how many 200 shekels was by the royal standard, but this is a lot of hair, okay? This is a lot of hair. And all Israel is just enthralled by him. And we're going to see how that's going to play out down the road when all Israel flocks to Absalom's charisma and leadership. He's beautiful, and he knows it. This is Absalom. And it's easy for us to stand back and see this vanity in Absalom. But we have to acknowledge that we struggle with some of the same temptations. It's been said that human mind is a factory of idols. A factory of idols. And we can turn vanity, we can turn cosmetics, we can turn aesthetics into an idol. 
And that's the most important thing we think about. But what you need to know is that God wants more than your showiness. God wants more than your showiness. Oh, how we think we're more pleasing to God. God, I wore a tie today. Aren't you happy? You know how long it took me to the effort I put in? I wore a suit today. (laughs) Aren't you happy? God, aren't you pleased with how beautiful our sanctuary is? How beautiful our grounds are? Our showiness. We want to look good. We want to be seen. We want people to stand in awe. We, We want to model ourselves out of on the basis of celebrities, what we see in tabloids. Don't lie. You know you do. You know you compare yourself to the rich and the beautiful and the famous. And so it raises the question, well, does that mean it doesn't matter what we look like? Does that mean it doesn't really matter how we dress? Does that we shouldn't bother with washing our hair? <laughs> well, of course not. If, if that Orchard, I wouldn't be standing here in a suit and tie. God is a God who creates beauty and who designs excellence. And God's glory is exalted by excellence and by beauty. That's good. That's good. It's good to look at. It's fine. Exalt God. I don't want you to to look at me and think about my slouchiness or my hygiene. I want you to focus on the Word of God. That's good. But it becomes a problem. It becomes an error when you define your self-worth by how you look. When you define your value as a human being, based on how you look. The value of a human being is defined entirely by being created in the image of God. And that is why we are to put such a high premium on human life. From conception to natural death, we value life. We treasure life. And it has nothing to do with the clothes they wear or with the color of their skin or what they've done or haven't done. But in being a human being and your worth before God depends on being a human being created in His sacred image. Amen? Amen. So we don't define ourselves that way. But the other error is when we define other people that way. And we look at other people and we look down on other people because of how they dress or because of how they look or because of how intelligent they are or not. And we are all prone to do this, to look down on other people or to look up to other people just because they're beautiful like Absalom or they're, they're brilliant. Be aware of this tendency of this idolatry toward vanity in your heart. It's it's lurking inside of all of us to varying degrees. Know that. Be on the lookout for that. Because remember, as, as God says when He calls David, 
to be his king. He says to the prophet Samuel, people look at the outside. God looks at what? The heart. The heart. That's what God sees. We also need to note here, David, we're told, was good looking too. Like father, like son. So it's, those, those uh, family traits are passed down. And while we can pass those down, God's grace cannot be inherited. And we can't take that for granted. We have to disciple our children. Remember that. We have to. And we shouldn't treat our children any differently because of how they look, right? Maybe David is withholding either fellowship or judgment from Absalom because he's so popular. What's he to do? Everyone loves him. And he's got three sons. He's got a daughter who's beautiful named Tamar, who of course is named after his sister. What's he to do? Notice what happens next. People who fixate on outward appearance, who fixate on aesthetics, will eventually show themselves. People who are focused on showiness will eventually show themselves. You heard that expression? He really showed himself. She really showed her true colors. Well, Absalom certainly does here. When he sends for Joab, he's ready. It's been two years after all. He's been in Jerusalem. He wants to see his father, the king. So he sends to Joab. He says, I want to see him. Joab won't come. Maybe Joab doesn't want to come because he doesn't want to disappoint David. Either way, he doesn't come. So what does Absalom do? Burn his barley fields. <laughs> do you see the ingratitude in this? Because who is it who made it possible for Absalom to come back to Jerusalem? Joab. He, but he doesn't care. He's not grateful. He wants what he wants and he expects to get what he wants. And if he has to burn down someone's field, so be it. And careful readers of the Bible here have got to hear some echoes of another famous biblical character. Anybody? Samson. Samson. Another man with long, beautiful hair. Another man who was immature. Another man who was rash and reckless and who would set your field on fire and did set people's fields on fire to get your attention. This is Absalom. He wants to get whatever he wants. And so, be warned, those who focus on outward appearance, on showiness, will eventually show themselves. And you'll show that you don't really care about other people. And if you're, you're willing to waste whatever you need to waste to get your way. You don't care about Joab. You don't care about his field. You don't care about what he's done for you. You want what you want, so you'll take what you want. That's Absalom. Well, burning someone's field has got to get their attention, right? So we continue verse 31. Then Joab did go to Absalom's house, and he said to him, Why have your servants set my field on fire? Absalom said to Joab, Look, I sent word to you and said, Come here so I can send you to the king to ask, Why have I come from Geshur? It would be better for me if I were still there. Now then, I want to see the king's face. 
And if I am guilty of anything, let him put me to death. So Joab went to the king and told him this. Then the king summoned Absalom, and he came in and bowed down his face to the ground before the king. And the king kissed Absalom. Absalom says, look, I want to see my dad. It's been long enough. I was in Geshur for three years. I've been in Jerusalem two years. It's been five years since I've seen him. Come on. Come on. So Joab arranges for this. And then we have this really awkward meeting between them. We're not told of any words that are exchanged. There are no tears wept. They just kind of interact like a servant and his master, like a servant and a king. And for all intents and purposes, by all appearances, they're reconciled. It's over. (laughs) Oh no, but it's not. Because what's happening here is mere lip service. And what you and I need to remember is that God wants more than your lip service. Don't sell him short. You can say all the right words. You can be fully immersed in Christian vocabulary. You can say the most elegant, beautiful, articulate prayers before other people. And your heart can be far from God. And I can preach the most compelling sermon that can draw the masses and my heart can be far from God. You can nod along. You can amen all throughout the sermon and your heart can be far from God. God wants more than your lip service. But that is all that Absalom offers to David and that is all that David offers to Absalom. It's merely show. It's an act. Also notice that there's no repentance. There's no penitence. There's no regret in Absalom. What does he say? If I'm guilty of anything, let him put me to death. And what's implied there is, of course, I'm not. Let him try. Doesn't he know how popular I am with the people? Is he really going to do something to me? (laughs) I dare him to. I dare him to exact a punishment on me. <laughs> let's be done with it. Let's, let's move on past this. That's his attitude. And we're warned as Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 23 when he was confronting the Pharisees. Let this be a warning to every churchy person, every churchgoer, every religious person. Listen to this. This is Matthew 23, verse 27. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs, which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of the bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but on the inside, you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Oh, you look good. Like whitewashed tombs. But inside, you're dead. You're inconsistent. You're a hypocrite. So be warned. May God... By His grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
spare you, spare me from this. May He wake us up, call us to attention, and say, I don't want that to be me. I don't want to be Absalom. I don't want to be David here. I don't want to just look good to other people. I don't want people to think I'm great or super spiritual. I don't want to impress other people. And by the way, this is something I try to pray as often as I can. God, I don't want to just impress people. I want them to hear your word. I want your Holy Spirit to be at work in their hearts by the proclamation of your word. I don't want to entertain people. I don't want to just make them laugh. I don't want to just be interesting. God, protect me from that. May God protect you and your heart and your spirits from the idolatry of vanity. God doesn't want our half-heartedness. He doesn't want our showiness. He doesn't want our lip service. Don't sell Him short. What He wants is you. Just as you are, by the way. You don't have to go fix something. He wants you. But not so that He can leave you as you are. Make no mistake. You are a sinner. You are lost. You are condemned. And your only hope is His grace made available in the Lord Jesus Christ who has done for you what you could never do for yourself. He has lived the life you have not lived and will not live. He has died the death that you deserved on the cross by shedding His precious blood. And He has been raised to new life so that He and He alone can give you life that can transcend the grave that awaits every single one of us. And as we reflect on this story, we can't help but notice some parallels between another story that Jesus told in Luke 15. Between another estranged father and son. This son was ungrateful. This son demanded what he wanted. He took his inheritance before his father had even died and he goes off to a far country and he squanders it all with wild living giving himself to the vanity of this world, investing his heart and soul into the things of this world. And when it's all gone, and he's having to fight for every scrap of food left, when he finds himself feeding pigs and wallowing in their mud, we're told by the Lord Jesus, he came to himself. And he realized where I am now my father's servants are living better than this. So I'm going to go home and I'm going to confess my sins to my father. I'm going to tell him I was wrong. He has his speech prepared. He's on his way. And before he can even get home, his father is running toward him with arms wide open. And he can't even get his prepared speech out before his father embraces him and kisses him. And before his, his father throws a party for him. Now how different is that than David and Absalom? Is, is your view of God like David with arms crossed? Well, I'll meet you when you meet me here. Or is it of the parable of the prodigal son 
with the Father with His arms wide open, ready to embrace you, saying, I want you. But make no mistake, those who come home to the Father know they need the Father's grace and mercy. They know they've made a mess of it. They know they've squandered His good gifts. They've taken Him for granted. They've taken His good gifts for granted. They know that, but they're going to go anyway. And I promise you, those who approach God that way will receive His grace and His mercy and His forgiveness and His eternal life. Will you come to Him? He's done everything, everything necessary for you to come. He sent His Son. So will you come? Will you pour out your heart to Him and say, God, I need you. I'm totally dependent on you. Or, no. I'm going to follow the way of Absalom, follow the ways of this world, keep searching. No. Don't do that. This is a God who wants to save you by His grace for His glory. Not because of anything you've done, not because of anything you haven't done, but because of His sheer mercy in the Lord Jesus Christ. What's keeping you from coming? The Messiah has come. May we meet Him as He enables us by the Holy Spirit. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank You that Your Word teaches us by both commandments and by negative examples we thank you for the example of Absalom and David so that we can be warned of the dangers of fixating on what other people think when they see us. Lord, move us off of that. Turn us away from that vanity. Help us to look to you. And in looking to you, may we realize that we can't offer you anything that you need. You want us. And I pray that as we turn to you, we would receive the grace that only you can give. And that you would be glorified in us and through us as we praise your holy name. And as we do everything, everything, whether we eat or drink, we do everything to your glory and to your praise. For you are truly worthy. We pray these things in Jesus' name.